Once again, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. We're going to wrap up this morning on a, a, ser- a series we've been doing on the book of James called, called Drawing Closer to God. Uh, February is Black History Month, and uh, uh, the song that uh, the choir just sang is is uh, the the anthem for Black History. It's a it's a, become a, a powerful song to reflect on uh, the, the the goodness of what Black History brings for us, and also a, a remembrance of the difficult path that they have gone through. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna be talking about favoritism and judgmentalism, and unfortunately, the church in general. I'm not talking this church in specific, but the church in general has a, a very poor history in people groups, right? Uh, it, not just against blacks and slaveries in the Methodist Church. If you go uh, the the church that I was. Uh, 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 interning at while I was in seminary, Lebanon, Kentucky, on the outside of it, uh, was the Methodist Episcopal Church South, right? And that was different from the Methodist Episcopal Church. You know what the difference was? The South was in favor of slavery, right? And had scripture to back it up. You can go back to the Crusades and the fight against the Muslims, and the tragedies and the atrocities committed against people groups in the name of God, right? I, I, I would love, too many times I've heard people say racism isn't an issue in the United States anymore. That's because you're white. It is certainly a problem. And I'm not just talking black America, I'm talking uh, Hispanic and, and Asian and, and all the other colors that make up this melting pot that at one point we celebrated of who we are. And it's not just racism that raises its ugly head in our lives and gets in the way of who God is and what he wants us to be. It also has to do with social status. It also has to do with... Uh, uh, Lifestyle, there are so many ways that we want to pigeonhole people, right? And every one of those just turns the stomach. And hold on this morning. <laughs> right? We, we, we can't call ourselves a Christian church if we let racism go unnoticed. Until equality reigns for each and every person, the church is not finished. Just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it's not a problem. We have to, we have to address within the church, how can we go about telling the world about a great God who loves everyone? And that's if you, if you are a biblical Christian, um, it's, it, it always surprises me how we pick and choose our Bible passages. But the way I read the Bible, every one of us was created by, by God, right? And see, you can go back and some of the ways Christians got around saying that slavery was okay is they, they said by the color of skin that, that a black person was not fully human. Therefore, they didn't deserve the same treatment as those of us with paler skin 
who were still not done. We hadn't been cooked enough. Hey, you're all so tense, man. I know that's politically incorrect, but we're okay. Right? Every person that has ever been created is loved by God. And every person that's ever been created has the image of God stamped on them. And it's precious to him. And it's not just a modern problem. This goes from the beginning. We love to put other people down so we can raise ourselves up. Right? Deep down, we all know there's something wrong with us. But if I can point something out in you that makes it, at least for the moment, seem like I'm better than you, then I'm going to leverage that for all it's worth. Because by pushing you down, then I can make myself feel better. Christian behavior? Not particularly, I don't think. We've been in James. James, this, this practical book, five short chapters of the brother of Jesus taking Jesus' teaching, what he learned from his stepbrother, the, the, the basics of the, of the Christian faith, this new covenant that Jesus brought. James takes it, breaks it down over five chapters into, into this practical way that if we are followers of Christ, if we have faith, faith is a big sub-theme uh, throughout the book of James. If we have faith, and, and this is a big deal, faith isn't belief. Belief is a, is a knowledge, an assent to, an understanding of. That's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to faith, which is knowing God and then understanding who he is to a point in which I'm willing to put all the weight of my life onto that. That's faith. And that faith, that relationship is going to affect every aspect of my life. We've been going through the book. We've sort of worked our ways backwards from it. But we talked about how we need humility. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror and we need to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and be honest and realistic to say, you know what? There's still brokenness there. We need humility. We need to be able to say, oh God, I'm broken without you. I need you. I I can't make a difference in the world. I can't even make a difference in my own life. I need you. We need prayer. We need a conversation in which we invite the one who created us to intervene in our lives and lead us closer. Spencer talked last week about faith means nothing without work. It needs to work itself out. And today, what we're going to talk about is our faith means that we can't have favorites and that we must show mercy just as God has shown mercy to us. Let's go to James chapter 2. Is my mic doing okay now? Okay. If I start garbling, somebody get my attention. I'm not having a stroke. It's just... <clears throat> By the way, a couple weeks ago, a bunch of you were concerned because my hands, my hands shake all the time. You just see it sometimes if I'm holding bread or something. I'm okay. James chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over the others? 
For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or just go sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in the kingdom? be rich in faith. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you, drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws, except for one, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but don't commit adultery, you still have broken the law. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to have faith If it allows you, if your faith allows you to say that you're better than someone else. Let's let's be honest. The reason this makes us uncomfortable is because we've worked really hard to build up our rationalization of why our thought process is okay. And I'm treading on it this morning. And I know it makes you uncomfortable. That's all right. I think part of preaching, I think part of effective preaching is me to get you to have a conversation with yourself this afternoon. And I hope that through this sermon, you're arguing with me in your head. (laughs) I don't need it by email or other things. (laughs) Keep it a personal conversation, right? As I said, the church has done horrible things in the name of God to different people groups, and we continue to do that. And James is just calling it out. How can you say, and, and he's, he's in a different time where slavery was still an issue, the class system was still an issue, you had the Jewish and non-Jewish, uh, Jews and Gentile thing, you had all sorts of conflict going on, and so you can say, well, the context is different. Well, yeah, it is. It's worse now. As much as we've progressed in our, in our technology and stuff, we still have these basic human problems. In the modern day church, we still show favoritism to folk. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or anything, but we're just gonna be honest this morning and, and try to hold up the thing and, and try to do better. It, in, in church, you get a young family come in, have two kids, they're dressed nice, they, they're obviously middle, upper middle class, they come in, oh, people can't wait to get to them, and Pastor David, come over, you got to meet this family, they're going to be great in our church, just look at them. They, must, they might be serial killers, you don't know. <laughs> but they look good. 
Then some of our friends from the community that don't have a home and don't have a closet full of clothes and can't drive and don't have a place where they can always shower, they show up. Pastor David, do we have security in our building? Is anybody watching that person? We're judging by appearance. Ultimately, that's what racism was about. It was the color of the skin made people uncomfortable. Appearance. Which we're not called to judge. Now, one of the rationalizations everywhere, anytime I talk about something like this, I'm going to get a kickback on people of saying, oh, well, yeah, no, God tells us that we need to be have good judgment. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't have good judgment. I'm saying ultimately a, 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 a relationship with God is left to the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, who sits on the throne now, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one that gets to make the choice. He's the one that holds the keys to heaven and hell. He's the one that will return. He's seated right now at the, at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come to judge the, the living and the dead. He can make a judgment on the hearts of mankind. All you can see is appearance. You just have a little bird's eye. You, you, you don't even have a bird's eye view. Even if you're sitting next to your spouse, you, you don't even know the depths of their depravity. You might have a good idea. I mean, imagine if we had the technology to put an LCD screen on your chest that allowed everyone to see your darkest thoughts. How many of you would go in public? I had a youth director uh, one time that described heaven in a way that made me want to quit Christianity. He said, when we go to heaven, we're going to all be sitting there. All of creation will be sitting there. We'll go up one by one. There'll be a big screen and all of our sins will be projected. I'm not going to heaven then. <laughs> I spent my whole life trying to hide from those things. I don't want it exposed in heaven. Actually, I think he was wrong because the way I read the Bible, once our sins are forgiven, they're thrown away as far as the east is from the west. They're washed away by the blood of Christ, right? But we we have this thing within us that just makes us judgmental. This passage has always disturbed me. It, 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 it's foundational for my belief. I'll get to that in a minute, but it, it's also disturbed me. And part of it is because I know how judgmental I am. I mean, there's a lot of you in this room I can't stand. <laughs> and I'm sort of kidding. But why you're laughing at that is because deep down you know you have that in you. Right? It's that thing within us that somehow if we can make others bad, it makes us good. And there's just a comfort in, in pigeonholing people. But that's, James says, that, that's not Christ-like behavior. Here's the basis of what James is teaching us. If if we're going to talk about outward appearance, none of us, none of us, you, you, outward appearance 
has nothing to do whether you get into heaven or not. It's an inward relationship. It's faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who showed no favoritism. He came to the world that, got, that deserved to be destroyed by God, but God, instead of destroying us, drew near to us by sending His Son into the world so that He could bring us back to God. Not just the good people, but anyone who would call on His name. Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This morning we did a baptism. Uh, Parker Bond, little Parker Bond, little uh, nine-month-old boy. And in that, we were celebrating the provenient grace of God, the, the grace that goes before, that before we can choose God, God has already chosen us, right? And that's what we celebrate in infant baptism. Parker had no say in the deal. As far as the spiritual significance for Parker this morning, it was like, ooh, there's a bunch of people, and oh, that water's cold, and what, oh, what are you doing? That was his spiritual experience this morning. But for those of us who believe, what we think happened in the heavens was the family made a commitment and the church made a commitment and God had already made a commitment that this child is precious because he was created by God. And we pray for him along with everyone else that as he grows in knowledge and stature, that he's going to claim God for his own. We weren't celebrating a righteous baby. We were celebrating a human life that's precious because God. That's what James is asking us to do for everyone. Whether or not people agree with you, as I said, we're, it's not that we're not supposed to show good judgment. We should have good judgment. You do need to be careful who you associate yourself with. You do need to be careful where you spend your money. You do need to be careful what partnerships you make. You shouldn't enter into marriage without without being sure that it's a person uh, that shares your belief system and that you you're, are is a good person. You need good judgment. But we're not called to judge others. And my good judgment isn't my good judgment. My good judgment comes from me opening myself to the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit so that it's the influence of the Holy Spirit that's guiding my discernment and my wisdom. So ultimately, even my good judgment isn't mine. It's God's Spirit working through me. And so as as we are interacting with one another it's we're not to judge one another to say well i can't love you because well yeah love your neighbor for yourself but i can't stand christianity with but get your butt out of here (laughs) there's no but to love your neighbor as yourself every person ever created is precious to God. Every person ever created. And how do you know what goes on in their mind? How do you know what goes on in their heart? How do you know what they pray when they go to bed? How do you know? All you know is what you see on the outside. 
You talk to folks that won't come to church. This is one of the reasons. Because the church has given itself a black eye that the world can look at us and go, well, you're no better than anybody else. In fact, a lot of you are worse. Some of the worst people I know are Christians. But that's not why God judges. Our Our whole worth is simply that a sinner was saved by the grace of God. That's my whole worth. James, he tries to draw this out. He says, because we love to rank sins. Human-wise, we love to rank sin. There's, there's, there's the little ones like my white lie. We even have language for it. My little white lie. Oh, well, I do a little thing like that. Well, well, that wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I fudged a number on my tax return, but everybody does that. The government owes me. Come on. Those are, accept, those are socially acceptable sins, right? And we, we, we all have those. We're just not on the list of the top 10 over here. And so by doing that, we think we're okay and we're, we're set. But what James says is it doesn't matter if you've broken every law there is or if you've even broken one law, you're still a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And let's be honest. If we're going to say you've only committed one sin, we're only going back like 15 seconds. Right? It doesn't matter. In the kingdom of heaven, whether you have a litany of sins or just a couple, we are still sinners at the foot of the cross, leaning on grace and mercy. That's, that's what this is about. And he says, ultimately, you're going to be judged by the law that sets you free. And the law that sets me free is the gospel story. That while I, yet I, was, uh, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died. And it's not because I'm a good person and it's not because I've made good choices. The, the good choice I made was to listen to the gospel story and to believe it and to put my life in it. And I'm still on the journey and I'm still learning how that should affect my, my behavior and how it should affect the way I act. But, and I'm still a sinner in need of, of, of saving and in need of grace. So why should I turn my back on somebody that just because they have a sin that is not as socially acceptable. Are we operating on human standard or kingdom standard? We've been saying all through this series that kingdom of heaven values are turned upside down. The things we think are important are actually pretty worthless when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. You don't know the heart of folk. It's why it's why God takes the pressure of judging others off of us. We can't even do well with ourselves. I told you that this passage haunts me. Here 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 it is. Verse 12. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. 
You're going to be measured by the same measure you use against others. Wow. This has become a big part of my own personal theology. I, 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 as an adult, this, I, I have bad experience in church, right? I'm here by protest. You didn't laugh at that. Good. Because it's true. The church does horrible things to people. I'm a recovering victim of church abuse. Right? And church hate. I've, I, I've, I've, I can't stand the institution. But I love Jesus. And when Jesus shows up and mercy is shown and grace flows, it is a powerful thing. But when judgmentalism and self-righteousness flow, it's a powerful thing, but it's destructive. It's just, I, 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 my own personal theology and dealing with questionable things, I have, I have come to a position where I say to myself, if I am going to make a choice, I am going to err on the side of mercy. Always. And, and, and I, I'm, it's a bold statement to say that in front of people. And if you read in James chapter 3, I'm putting my own salvation at risk because as a teacher, I'm held to a higher account. And it would be better for me to have a millstone tied around my neck and thrown into the river uh, other than face God for misleading folk. I feel so strongly about this that I'm willing to put my own personal salvation at risk for it. Mercy trumps self-righteousness. Mercy. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the face of God. It's the it's the truth of the it's the truth of the scripture. It is the teaching of Jesus. Why should I in any way get in the way of what God might do through someone else? There were folks willing to give up on me, and some that still are. Why am I in a position to say that others don't get the same opportunity that I've had? The redemptive power of Jesus Christ is not limited to our comfortableness and our social standards. God loves people. That's why the second part of the law is love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't receive mercy. Jesus taught this too. You can't receive mercy if you're unwilling to give. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. God, this is this is such heavy stuff. Because it just treads all over our defenses. We, we, this is so much a part of our life that we have a little structure in place that allows us to dwell there in, in, in comfort and, 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 and ease to sort of look out and say, well, this isn't a problem I need to concern myself with. But the fact of the matter is there is darkness within each. And we have... 
We have folks in this room. We have folks in our families. We have folks in the world that have been hurt. in unthinkable ways by our by our judgmentalism, by our favoritism, by our telling them they don't belong. And we're not going to be able to change this ourselves. But God, I can make a choice for me. And today, I I claim again, I want to err on the side of mercy. Give us your spirit. Give us your heart. Help me to see people the way you see people. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
James learned what he taught from his his stepbrother. As Jesus came, as God sent him into the darkness to, to rescue us sinners, he didn't go to the majority, went to the margins, right? Over and over. You see Jesus go into town. He didn't, he didn't go to the rulers. He didn't go to the leaders. He went to the margins, to the lady at the well that everyone else didn't want to have anything to do with, with the lady caught in adultery that he rescued from being stoned, to a tax collector that everyone saw as a traitor and didn't want to uh, have a relationship, he invited in, into his clan, to lepers. He, he didn't keep his distance. He went and touched him. You see God working in the margins. Don't keep yourself from what God's doing. I don't know if this thing in Asbury is, is an awakening or not, but it has all the key things. It's a bunch of college kids. But isn't that just the way God works? Ash Wednesday, on Wednesday, I hope you'll join us over this Lenten season. Let's lean into our faith. Let's lean in to allow God to do what He wants with us so we can become His people.